Welcome to the... <laughs> no, 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 I can't do that. Let's try another one. Uh, how about this? <laughs> no, no, that won't work either. Let's try this. get on board with that. Let's roll with it. Welcome to the Begin the Begin podcast. My name is Jeff Hillemeyer, and I'm on a mission to find out what makes people tick. Not just anyone, people who are making a profound impact on the world. I want to dig into their origin story and get to the root of why and how they do what they do. I hope you are as inspired coming out of these conversations as I am. Let's get into it. Holy cow, guys, I am blown away by this interview. My guest today is Taylor Branch, a Pulitzer Prize winning author for his book series, America in the King Years. He also wrote a book called The Clinton Tapes, in which he describes the nearly 80 sessions he had with President Bill Clinton during his two terms as president. Taylor is also mentioned in pretty much every Bobby Kennedy book, of which I've read around 10, whereas a 21 year old, he has an encounter with Bobby while he's running for president in 1968. Spoiler alert, Taylor was actually campaigning for Bobby's rival for the Democratic nomination. We talked for over an hour and a half, so I broke this into four episodes. In part one, we focus on his time spent with President Clinton. In part two, we discuss his books on Martin Luther King and the civil rights era, while also diving deep into the philosophy of nonviolence. In part three, we talk about his encounter with Bobby Kennedy. And then in part four, we talk about his book writing process and his favorite books of all time. Each section has amazing stories that you really won't want to miss. And hey, while I've got you, definitely consider subscribing on whatever platform you're listening on. I have a lot of great guests lined up that, trust me, you won't want to miss. Okay, let's get into it. Now, let's hear part four of my interview with Taylor Branch. I'm curious, again, I've written a few books, not like yours, but I have friends who either have ambitions of writing books. I'd love to know, just sort of at a high level, how you approach a new project, maybe what your your writing process is, or just advice you give to to young authors. Well, I would give most young authors advice not to approach it the way I do, which is to try, start from the beginning. Uh, and um, I, I tend to make um, my projects, even when I was starting out in journalism and magazine pieces, they would always grow up into uh, minor tomes um, because I really felt a compulsion to capture every angle. Um, and also, particularly in race relations, um, where from, you know, my first job, um, uh, other than working in my dad's laundry in Atlanta, was... Um, registering voters in South Georgia for John Lewis when he was at the Voter Education Project after SNCC and, and long before he got into politics. And um, he sent me down into South Georgia and uh, the experiences there were so raw that I wrote a diary. Um, I'd never written a diary in my life, just about the language and everyday experience and the fear and what was going on. And one of my professors at, at Princeton sent it to uh, a magazine, they published it. Um, but what I learned from writing that diary is that when I was writing about race relations, 
I wanted to make it personal. And when, uh, because I, you know, I believe that our racial discourse is like paper airplanes. You know, it's just basically people fooling themselves that they're really uh, dealing with the issue. They're not talking to anybody across uh, the aisle. They're not learning about anybody's family. And so my one rule was that I was going to try to make everything as personal, get to know every character as enough to make them feel feel like a human being, whether it's J. Edgar Hoover or, you know, Martin Luther King or any any of them. And um, that meant I had to do a lot more research and it was a lot harder. Um, I dedicated Parting the Waters to Septima Clark um, because she had the greatest influence or among the greatest influence up there with Bob Moses and Diane Nash of any of the people I interviewed, but she was always off stage. She worked for Martin Luther King and she was always um, uh, teaching sharecroppers uh, literacy for the voter registration uh, classes. But when I interviewed her, uh, she was just a force of nature. She was probably 90 or in her eighties then. Uh, And I couldn't put her in the narrative by my rules of storytelling because she was always off center and I had to decide how to follow, go to Birmingham. Do I go to Mississippi? Do I go to St. Augustine? Uh, Where do I go? I could never say, well, let's go down to Savannah and spend some time with Septima Clark. So I couldn't put her in the narrative in proportion to the influence I thought she deserved. So the only way I could make it up to her was to dedicate the book to her. She had died. Uh, So my method um, is Narrative history takes a lot of work and personal contact in the research uh, and and that it it makes for long projects. I mean, even even when I did a, an article about the history of college sports for the Atlantic magazine, um, it was supposed to be just an essay about college sports. But I went back to the beginning of, you know, when football was invented <laughs> and because I wanted why are we the only country in the world that plays big time commercial sports at institutions of higher learning. You know, how did that happen? And where did these rules come from? Uh, the amateur rules and, 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 and the rules that, um, that uh, justify this, this huge transfer of money uh, and influence from, from, from talent to hangers on. Uh, and um, so that turned into, a, I don't know, 20,000 word article. Um, but um, uh, so I tend to get carried carried away trying to make things. I try to take topics that matter uh, and make them personal and comprehensive. Um, and it, it means a lot of stewing and a lot of delay. And you have to have a fantastic wife uh, or partner um, who has good health coverage <laughs> because freelance writers don't get health covered. Uh, to make it through a career like that. She worked for NPR a lot of the years. It took 24 years to do the King trilogy. And another, what, the, the Clinton book took three years. Three years, but but eight years of, of interviews. Well, your, eight your years process... Interviews and three years writing. Yeah, the your King process project, really works. Uh, the King Project, one other small thing. I went to every library there was, but I will say that it would have been a very difficult book for me to do um, the way Bob Caro writes, we would get together uh, occasionally and talk about who was going to, whether we were going to live enough, long enough to finish our project, who's writing the LBJ series. Uh-huh. Um, uh, 
you know, he does note cards and stuff like that and goes into the libraries. I went into all the libraries the, and the presidential libraries, the King Library, the FBI, and did all my interviews, read all my books. But I put things into a computerized database um, that that would that allowed me to cross-reference things, put everything in chronological order, of whether the source was an interview that came from um, three years ago or a, a, a page in a book that I read. Um, and to to crisscross and and search for all of my references to John Lewis, for example, or anybody else. And I do think that it would have been very difficult to to write the trilogy without a computer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my first book I wrote on a uh, on a legal pad, and then they invented these things the uh, the IBM Selectric typewriter, where you didn't have to um, blot things out that you could backspace and it would erase it. Uh, so my career has spanned an incredible technological revolution in the processing of words, uh, starting out on, you know, handwriting and, and typewriter and, and, and now computers that handle all my footnotes and handle my research uh, and, 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 and keep things in order for me in, in a way that I wouldn't be able to do otherwise. That's probably, I'm guessing, coming in handy now with your current book that you can go back and reference all of that. Absolutely. Correct? Yes, yeah. it is. Yes, it is. Okay. Let me, let me end on, on this question. Um, what, what is your, what is your go-to couple of favorite books um, and why? Mm. Uh, um, well, from my year, I've now been almost 40 years immersed in race there, there are a lot of amazing books uh, about the history of race in America, but two sleepers that had enormous impact on me uh, are Along This Way, the autobiography of James Weldon Johnson, uh, who wrote Lift Every Voice and Sing and was head of the NAACP. Uh, he also wrote, I think, a hundred and something Broadway songs uh, uh, and was Theodore Roosevelt's consul in Guatemala. Uh, or Nicaragua, a remarkable man along this way. Um, the other one, and I'm not going to talk about, you know, any of the the standard uh, white over black. There are, there are a lot of wonderful books about, uh, about race. Um, uh, David Blight's new biography of Frederick Douglass is, is magnificent. But... Um, there are a lot of books like that. The other one that is a lost jewel, I think, is Proud Shoes, the uh, the first autobiography of, of Pauli Murray, um, uh, this magnificent uh, legal scholar who later um, became uh, uh, the, the first um, female Episcopal priest to be ordained in the United States in 1976. Um, but... She wrote several books, Song from a Weary Throat and, 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 and other books. She was a friend of Eleanor Roosevelt. Uh, she, was a, she was kind of like Bayard Rustin, uh, a female intellectual um, just behind the scenes in, in the civil rights era. Um, but Proud Shoes is about her family and growing up. It's a deeply personal book with all kind of interracial families, even, you know, in the 19th century. Um, and I just think that it's a magnificent memoir. Um, they're both personal books that get at very big issues in, in race relations. So Along This Way by James Weldon Johnson, Proud Shoes by Pauli Murray, and one other one, uh, 
um, by a white author. Um, I, I took a course from her uh, early in my career, Hannah Arendt. Uh, Hannah Arendt's uh, The Human Condition is one of the best philosophy books I uh, ever uh, read. Um, and it led to her, late in her career, before she died, she wrote a book called On Violence. It's a short little book um, that gets into the paradox of why we're so steeped in violence and we never study it. Um, and she, she ended up with a thesis that's very dear to me and, and still part of it. She said, traditional political science has defined politics by violence, that a political regime is defined, a legitimate regime is the one that has a monopoly of legitimate violence. That's how you define power. Uh, ultimately, violence is power. She said in the modern interdependent world, when we need to work together in, in, in order to magnify our talents in any kind of uh, um, interdependent economy, she said violence and power become opposites. If everybody's fighting, nobody has any power. And she said that is the greatest paradox to study for the future, that how we can on the one hand say violence is the ultimate power that's going to end every movie and solve every problem and, and, <laughs> and, and, and fix everything. On the other hand, uh, violence is the opposite of power. It's how you know that real governance is not working. Uh, it's the, the first thing we do when we see it is say we need to stop it. Uh, we know there's something wrong with it. And yet we haven't resolved uh, that conflict. And her book on violence, which was written uh, shortly before she died, is the most concise and brilliant. She's a, she was a wonderful philosopher. She had me in awe in her class. But um, On Violence and the Human Condition are two Hannah Arendt books uh, that I think everybody who's serious about uh, philosophy and uh, democracy could find useful. Those are terrific uh, recommendations. I will definitely be reading those, but I've got to make my way through part two and part three of America <laughs> in the King years. So it might be four or five years before I get to the, <laughs> those other books. I hope it doesn't take that long. <laughs> <laughs> no, teasing. Um, Taylor, I can't thank you enough for, for doing this. Uh, honestly, like uh, talking to you, um, again, you're in the Bobby Kennedy books. You've written these amazing books that I've read and I'm reading. Um, and I just, I know you're busy and I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to chat with me. I'm glad to do it. And please say hello to your father-in-law, my former high school classmate. Uh, I, I, I hope to catch up with him if COVID allows us someday. I will definitely do that. All right. Thank you very uh, talk, much. Talk to you soon. Take care. You just heard the final installment of my interview with Pulitzer Prize winning author Taylor Branch. If you missed them, consider going back to hear parts one through three as we get into his experiences with President Bill Clinton, his writings of Dr. King in the Civil Rights era, his famous meal with Bobby Kennedy, and his book writing process. <laughs> Wow, you made it to the end of the podcast. I didn't think people did that anymore. Well, since I still have you, I'd love for you to do two things. First, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. That way you'll be alerted as soon as I post my next one. And second, I'd love for you to subscribe to my email newsletter. I send out an email every week or two, and it's really where I share my more personal thoughts and ideas. Plus, I give stuff away sometimes. You can find the sign up at my blog, jeffhillemeyer.com. And I really do appreciate you listening. <laughs>